Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Pornography. If you're a pastor, you've surely dealt with this issue before. This week, pastor, author, and blogger Tim Challies joins the conversation to shine light on this hidden but prevalent sin. Keep listening afterwards to find out how to download a free MP3 from the Alliance. Well, today on The Mortification of Spin, we have a special guest, a man who has triumphed against all the odds uh, of being a Canadian to become (laughs) perhaps the most significant Christian blogger of his generation. Uh, Tim Chalice. Uh, Many of you will have read his posts. Uh, His a la carte postings are excellent aggregate uh, posts about what's going on in the Christian world. And Tim himself has become an influential voice in our internet evangelical age. So it's great to have you on the program, Tim. Thank you, Carl. I'm glad to be here. It's good to have you. First question, have you ever met William Shatner? <laughs> I have never once met William Shatner, even though a... he is a fellow Canadian. We've never <laughs> met him, never run into him. Ah, I, yes, I assume that a cultural icon like that in a small country like Canada would be known to you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway. he just walks around door to door meeting people. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the reason we've brought Tim on today is we want to talk about a topic that has come up on a number of occasions in the podcast uh, and that is the issue of pornography. We live in an age where the accessibility of pornography because of the the opportunities that the internet offers both for uh, privacy and for access to a, a very wide range of websites has served to make internet pornography if not the biggest pastoral problem in the church, certainly one of the most significant, with many, many problematic aspects. Not only is there the obvious issue of of lust and uh, inappropriate behavior, but it's also transforming expectations for marriage, taking a great toll upon attitudes to sexual morality in general. And evidence suggests changing the way people think by literally rewiring their brains. So we brought Tim on because this is an area which where Tim has done quite a bit of work and has made some signal pastoral contributions because we feel that this is an issue that if you're a pastor and it is not crossed your path yet, sooner or later it will, and it's useful and important to know how to respond to the people in your congregation who are struggling with this issue, and if you're struggling with it yourself, to know where to seek help and solace. So Tim, uh, perhaps you could kick off by asking you to give us Give us a few shocking anecdotes to grab our attention, to bring, uh, to bring to the forefront how serious a problem this is for the church. 
Sure. Yeah, I think if you're a pastor and this hasn't crossed your radar yet, then you probably just aren't asking the right questions mm-hmm. or you're not talking to your people enough because it really is a very, very widespread problem. Uh, and I agree with you, Carl. I've heard you say before that this is the pressing pastoral issue, maybe the primary pastoral issue of the church today. And I would tend to agree that it, it's just there, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to own it or not. There are thousands of people, millions of people just being crushed by pornography. I've spoken about it all over the world. And one of the things I like to do when I speak about it is lay down a challenge. I say, if you are between the ages of 18 and 25, and you have never once looked at pornography, I'd love to talk to you just to ask about how that came about, what your parents did, whatever it takes. Just tell me what I can learn from you that I can share with others. And I've asked thousands of people that, and I've never had a Mm. single person come up to me and prove me wrong. I've had a couple come up and kind of say, well, tell me what you mean by pornography. They want to define the terms a little bit. Um, but I've never yet met the person at, when I've been speaking who has completely avoided it. Wow. So I think that tells you something right there. Yeah, that's quite stunning. That breaks my heart uh, to yeah, hear that. As yeah. a parent, um, you've, you've been very helpful to parents, I think, Tim, by writing some um, helpful posts on uh, navigating through these new waters with technology and, and how to protect our um, children from, you know, accidentally seeing it or trying to seek it out on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. What are some, like, you know, basic principles that you could tell us that we could be doing as parents? Sure. I think the biggest thing is admitting the problem and not believing that your child, your son especially, is the one person who will not struggle this way or the one person who will not be exposed in this way. I really do have a lot of hope when it comes to this issue because it was my generation that our parents handed us computers and internet connections and never really thought about what could happen when you give all the the 15-year-old boys in the world those two Mm -hmm. things, a computer and the internet. It it was obvious now, right? We look back and say, how could our parents have missed that? What else Mm -hmm. could possibly have happened? But my generation, we're wise to this. So we are raising our kids, I hope, in a different way with a real awareness of what's out there and with an awareness that we as parents have to be discipling our children in this way. The burden is on me to ensure that my children are equipped, that my children are protected. At the same time, they've got to use the internet. They've got to use computers. That's just, that's where the future is. So we can't take the technology from our kids. Instead, we're being forced to train our kids, to disciple our kids. And so the basic thing is just parental involvement, parental awareness. Is there any particular software you would recommend on this front? I mean, we were talking before the program and I mentioned I'd tried a number on my computer to see what would work to recommend to people. And some of the things I downloaded basically stopped me from accessing the Internet. You know, there's a picture of a bald guy on a website or something and I couldn't get the website to open. Uh, What what sort of software would you recommend as being being the best, the most appropriate? Sure. Our our temptation when it comes to problems that are caused by technology is always to look back to technology to solve it, right? This is a standard human issue. So there is technology we can use that's very helpful. But before we do that, I would want to look at how we as parents can be involved with our children, what we need to do to be training and discipling them first. Once we've done that, once we've set up structures where we're speaking to our children regularly about this, once we've talked about how we address it with our kids, make them aware of this and 
you know, when you're talking to a 10-year-old boy, it's hard to convince him or a 12-year-old boy that someday he'll really have a desire to look at naked people on the internet. That's bizarre to him. But we have to address this with them while they're still quite young in age-appropriate ways and then ramp up the discussion. To answer your question, I think Covenant Eyes is a very good piece of software. I've got it installed on all our computers. Each person in the family has their own account. And then once or twice a week, I get reports that I just have to look through. Uh, I haven't found one that does the reporting particularly well. That's still a heavy burden as dad to have to look through those things and sort out what's meaningful and what's not. But I still think it's the best one I've looked at. Mm, that's that's good. good. Tim, uh, Carl mentioned earlier just the fact of... of pornography being something that that rewires men's uh, brains i wonder in, in you've you've written about this a lot and very helpfully in, in your research i wonder if you could just help folks understand briefly what exactly pornography does to the physiology of 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 a person's brain sure what does that look like yeah, well, what we're understanding is that it's not just pornography, it's everything is rewiring our brains. So we're constantly changing ourselves from the, the inside out in that sense. Our brains have this kind of plasticity built into them, and God intends it that way. Um, and so there's something that happens within the marriage relationship when you're engaging in the sexual relationship with your spouse. Something happens in your brain that's meant to happen. There's a sense in which you become addicted to the sexual relationship. Your brain wants it, demands it, and that is good. That's the way God intends it. Um, but we can also use that negatively when we engage in the use of pornography, where we're now training our brain to react to certain things. And so we're finding that there's these chemical reactions that go on in the brain where we train our brain to need that, to want that. That happens with drug addicts. It happens with porn addicts. And, and so we're finding there's this really clear relationship where our brains are now trained to demand it. And so in that sense, people really do become addicted to pornography. It's something they now crave just like they might crave alcohol or they might crave drugs or whatever else it is. Yeah. That word addiction, um, I don't, it's a little, I mean, I understand it and it's, it's real and true, but it's a little off-putting to me as a woman sometimes when I see um, families wrecked over a husband who um, is either addicted to pornography or he's a sex addict is another word that comes out a lot. And then all the attention that he gets, and this is what I wanted to ask you about, um, they'll get a lot of attention for their, their recovery and their repentance and their, and their struggles. And then it seems that the, the, the women aren't very ministered to. And so they hear this, oh, you know, he's, he's addicted now. And it's almost like um, he can't help it, and now you need to help him. And um, have you seen that as a pastor? And, and how can pastors minister to the wives better because I see them with so much um, embarrassment and shame and and guilt that they weren't good enough mm. and um, they just they're just beat down mm -hmm. yeah the nature of the sin is such that uh, the wife really does feel belittled by it. And there can be the sense in which people can be very quick to judge her or to assume that this is somehow 
her fault. And of course, we need to take that right off the table and say that it is not her fault. It is his fault for looking at pornography, for becoming addicted to pornography. And I think what we've done as Christians is go to the most immediate and obvious need, which is we've rushed to help men overcome this pornography, overcome this addiction. And yet, as we've done that, we have neglected wives. I've been encouraged to see recently a few books come along that I hope will guide people. Um, there's one by Vicki Tidy called, I believe it's, um, So Your Husband is Addicted to Pornography. Yeah, when Your Husband's Addicted. When Your Husband, yeah. Which is a, a good book and very helpful in its own way because women need to be relieved of that shame and relieved of that burden where they feel that it is their fault. And women also need to know that in this battle for their husband's purity, they really are his best ally, that they can support him in that, that they can encourage him in that. Um, so somewhere there's that tension. It's not your fault. And yet, please do be your husband's ally in this. Tim, some of the things I've read recently indicate that uh, pornography use is increasing among women. Mm-hmm. Um, any comments or thoughts on that? That's, I guess, from a male perspective, that's kind of counterintuitive. But as I said, that seems to be what the evidence is suggesting. And I suppose it makes a kind of sense as pornography becomes more accessible and somewhat saturates the culture. Uh, do you see any significance in that? Do you think that that kind of issue would require a, a different pastoral strategy, for example, to, to that with, with handling young men? Yeah, so according to the statistics, pornography is growing in its use among women. Partly that would just be how ubiquitous it is. It's everywhere. So women are getting exposed to it. Some are becoming addicted to it in that sense of it may not be their most natural thing. And yet they they look at it. They uh, find that they enjoy it. A lot of women are being exposed through men. So husbands or boyfriends are trying to draw them into their addiction and the women become exposed to it that way. And then there's a whole phenomenon of things like Fifty Shades of Grey, which is pornography. Mm -hmm. It's just written pornography and story-based pornography. So from what I hear, there's now an entire industry devoting itself to women's pornography, which tends to be more about the storyline, whereas the men's pornography is more just the action. There's no real story necessary. The shocking thing to me is the way women brag about watching it. So, you know, a man, I think, would be embarrassed to say that he's going to go watch a pornographic film or read a pornographic book. But, um, you know, I can go to the Christmas party in my neighborhood and hear a wife right in front of her husband talking about this great trilogy she's reading, The Fifty Shades of Grey, and he kind of has this, well, isn't that cute kind of expression on his face. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's men just assuming that somehow what she's reading will work its way out in their sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. Either that or he is already involved in inappropriate conduct of some kind. And so what moral high ground does he have to take? But certainly um, we're seeing a growth of pornography all across from children, men, women all around. One thing I've found also um, with women who are affected by their husbands, um, looking at pornography is that their whole idea of manhood changes in a lot of ways to think that um, that all men do this, that you just don't know it. I hear that all the time. And then I also hear, you know, and see um, this competition then that they feel whenever there's an attractive woman in the room, like their husband is unable to um, 
to see an attractive woman without going, you know, inappropriate in his thoughts. Mm-hmm. What What is your experience with that? Like, do you feel like once a man has been, you know, affected by uh, an addiction to pornography that he can't have uh, good thoughts anymore when he sees an attractive woman? And and how how can I how can I talk to these women and be you know convince them that every man isn't like that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's certainly the the sin men will battle. I mean, men are visual and men train themselves over the course of their lives to respond to that visual stimulus, whether it's from their wife or it's from any other woman. So there is a sense in which that can be true, where men who have given a lot of themselves to pornography will either struggle that way or not struggle with this, just what they'll do and they'll think little of it. Uh, however, I do believe that the power of God is such that he changes us at the deepest level, not just at the at the most surface level. So I do think that God is retraining men from the inside out. He's training them at the deepest motives, at the heart level, to no longer respond to what they used to. If their neck used to be on a swivel, I believe that God changes them so that they really can have not only just focus or not only um, refuse to sin, but not even want to anymore, where he really can change that behavior. But again, they've trained themselves, right? There's been that training over the course of life. And so it can be a a long and difficult process for someone to retrain himself, just as with any other addiction or any other bad habit. Yeah, that's good. And Tim, you mentioned covenant eyes earlier. And it seems to me that, that the danger oftentimes I think with us is, is that we'll rationalize our sin. So, mm-hmm. so if we see that a particular sin is, is, is really ubiquitous, um, we will tend to uh, be prone to excuse it then if it's in our own life. And that's where I think something like covenant eyes is so important because in so doing, you're inviting other people into your life at that level to say directly, um, you have permission to be looking over my shoulder, so to yeah. speak. Um, because I don't want um, to excuse this. I, I don't want to uh, to take the the ubiquitous nature of pornography and say, you know, since so many men are accessing this, it can't. You know, what what's one more? But 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 in in using something like Covenant Eyes, I'm saying I've got a, a set of brothers or even uh, my wife um, who's invited to to be looking over my shoulder um, in this. Uh, Tim, you're you're involved uh, very much in 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 your local church um, in ministry, and I, I wonder we're going to have pastors listening to this and elders, other church leaders. Um, what would be the top resources you would point people to, whether it's books or or ministries, um, to help in uh, in people struggling with pornography? Sure. Let me back up to Covenant Eyes for one minute and say that Covenant Eyes is a terrible strategy for overcoming pornography, but it's a wonderful component of a strategy for overcoming pornography. So if your strategy is, I'm addicted, I'm going to put Covenant Eyes on my computer and that will resolve it, then you're just not dealing with with your sin the right way. But if it's part of a wider strategy that involves true accountability, face-to-face accountability, getting into God's Word on a consistent basis, basis, pleading with God to help you overcome this sin and all the steps that are involved in putting sin to death and coming alive to righteousness, then it can be very, very helpful for those moments where self-control has gone lacking. So uh, in terms of tools or resources, I've written a book called Sexual mm-hmm. Detox, a guide for guys that are sick of porn. And I think it's a, it's a, a good book for guys to read together and 
a um, couple of guys getting together, reading it in that way. Yeah. Uh, Finally Free by Heath Lambert is probably the best book right now on pornography. I think it's very, very good and just how, how it breaks down the problem and how to overcome it. And in terms of resources, again, Covenant Eyes is a great place to go. For those who are they're really struggling and they've had little success and maybe your marriage is on the rocks. I point you to Harry Schomburg and his ministry. I believe it's called Stonegate Resources. And I've seen uh, several couples go and spend some intensive time with him. He usually does a one-week intensive kind of program. And he will just guide you to truth, to scripture. And I've seen that ministry have a remarkable effect on several marriages. So I think that gets you from people who are struggling a little bit to people who are, their marriage is on the rocks, kind of that whole spectrum. That's great. Tim, do you see, well, it's going to be a loaded question because I'm assuming you're going to answer in the affirmative, but but it would seem to me that, that pornography has to be set within a wider social and cultural context as well. On the one hand, yes, there's the, the Internet has made it very accessible. Uh, the privacy of the Internet makes it very easy to do and get away with. But it's also part of a, a much wider culture. I've commented this a number of times. It fascinates me how death has been slowly but surely marginalized in our society. We, we don't talk about death. We don't have graveyards by churches anymore. We, we push death to the margins, and now sex is, is everywhere. And I would see that as having theological significance. We don't want to think about our mortality. And there are two ways we do that. We, we push mortality to the margins, and we think about sex a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, because sex is a creative activity. It, it, it is a life-affirming activity. That then seems to, to me to mean the church has, has got to do a whole lot more than just covenantize, or even the strategies you suggest. Uh, there has to be something we put in place of pornography. It's not just enough to, to block it out. How do we go about cultivating the Christian mind where pornography is, if you like, excluded by definition because the mind is so full of other things mm-hmm. that pornography finds no place when the pressures of the world are pressing in on us from all sides all the time in such an extreme form. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot lately about Christians in this or just unbelievers as well and and Gnosticism, some modern form of Gnosticism where we just see again and again how there's this separation between body and soul and what happens in the body, what happens in this uh, physical plane just don't really matter. And I think some of that has infiltrated the church where we really have this kind of dualistic view of the world where, you know, that's just what happens here. That's just my body. It doesn't really matter. What matters is the soul. What matters is those other things. And uh, I've been thinking about that a lot and how certainly society-wide there really is this devil-may-care attitude when it comes to what I do, how I use my body. Uh, In in terms of the church, Christian thinking, the Christian mind, I, I think so much of it is just finding great joy in the Lord, finding great hope in eternity and in the future and uh helping people understand that this life matters an awful lot. But that struggle for sexual purity, it really is a, a light and momentary affliction. Those those nights you, you lie awake just battling against the sin, determining you will not sin. That is a real and difficult struggle in the moment. But look at the perspective of eternity. That 
that obedience will work itself out in an eternity of joy, you'll be able to look at that and say that really was a light and momentary affliction. So I don't want to take from people the struggle of sexual purity and the desire to have sexual fulfillment, but just think about much greater joys and eternal and lasting joys and, and understand just the way the world, this, the, the way this world really works, the way God has created it. You've That's written really a lot about technology as well. Mm -hmm. And um, do, you, do you see this, um, what you're, ta you're talking about, this Gnosticism here, how technology feeds into that? Because we seem to be so disembodied in a lot of yeah. our communication and in our relationships with one another. And that may be another area where the, the church you know, can really emphasize um, the material world and, and its importance now and the goodness of it now. And then we would value our sexual relationships and our bodies more and our physical relationships with other people. Sure. Yeah. And this digital world has done a lot to disembody us. There's so many things we used to do that we could only do face to face that now we can do through the Internet. And you think about banking or something like that, where you used to have to talk to a real person. It was it was awful. But now <laughs> you can just do it all through the Internet. Uh, but church has gone that way for a lot of people. Their primary church relationship now is through the internet. And for many, many people, the sexual relationship is now primarily cyber, primarily digital. And so we do disembody ourselves in that, that dualism or Gnosticism, however you would put it, that really is alive in the digital age where we're able to separate who I really am from whatever that is on the other side of the screen. Tim, I really identified with what you said about about Gnosticism, and, and I've, I've preached on holiness just recently, and mm -hmm. and the uh, the the lie in the Church of Corinth that uh, these sexual sins, th their justification being well, it, it's just it's just with the body, mm -hmm. so therefore it's it's not that important, and, and just how relevant uh, and ubiquitous that lie still is um, among professing Christians. Um, that that we find ways to justify by uh, by by really what is a contemporary sort of gnosticism it 's just with my body um, and so i i i 've talked with a lot of people who who seem to buy into that and uh, and just a reminder again about how the scriptural calls for holiness are still so powerful and needful uh, mm -hmm. for us today and would encourage folks to to be in the word to be reminded of, of how we're called to holiness. Yeah, I, I don't think it helps to have Christian leaders trivializing sex. Yes. I mean, to me, the great example would be Mark uh, Driscoll's right. sex book of a couple of years right. ago. Interesting for me that I, there was a, I was asked by the Westminster bookstore guys about whether to stock it or not, and for the first time in my married life, I was not able to talk to my wife to get mm. advice on that because there was stuff in that book I didn't want to, bring to my wife's yeah. attention mm -hmm. um, and that raises for me you know another issue relative to Christian liberty I thinking of, of movies uh, movies that 25 years ago would have had an 18 certificate mm -hmm. now seem to be PG 13s and I wonder how you know we talk about pornography and Tim mentioned right at the start the question of definition. Yeah. But you know, how you define pornography mm -hmm. is an interesting question. And I think there are things that now appear on films pitched for teenagers right. that 25 years ago would have been embraced under the definition mm -hmm. of, of pornography. Well, so, and, and advertising for certain products that yeah. are on th – that uh, I've got teenage sons and I change the channel 
for certain yeah. commercials yeah. now that would have well, never aired. Put it right in the younger. football games right. and stuff. Mm. So that really stinks. Yeah. It was interesting moving to the States 14, 15 years ago, and it struck me that there's much less nudity on mm-hmm. American network yeah. programs, yeah. but much more sexuality. Mm. The programs were much more highly sexualized, even though there was less nudity, mm. which again points us to the problem of defining pornography. I don't think pornography necessarily requires nudity. Right. I think it can, uh, it, it can simply send a series of cues to your brain right. that allow you to connect the dots, right. if I could put it that way. Yeah. What yeah. do you think of that, Tim? No, I completely agree. And one of the things I noticed, well, between Canada and the United States is that whatever your rating is there, it tends to be one lower here. So what's Mm PG-13 there tends to be only PG here. Mm -hmm. So the the gates are even wider in that sense. And certainly what used to be pornographic in, in days gone by today is just very, very normal. One of the things that shocks me, several years ago, my son was just old enough to start paying attention to TV. We just had to cut it off because we saw just how sexualized mm. it is or it was. And that was maybe 10 years ago now. Now, uh, so I rarely have access to TV. We'll watch Netflix or something. But the commercials, I turn on a TV now and I see the commercials and I find them just very, mm. very shocking. Yeah. Um, just that sexuality. I'm so unaccustomed to it. Mm. And yet so many Christians really do have that kind of sexuality. They're watching Game of Thrones or something else, which I don't know much about it, except that it's absolutely scandalously full right. of sexual content. And a lot of Christians just aren't bothered by that. They right. don't understand, I think, or perhaps care that right. that kind of sexuality is, well, it, it's just an indicator of the, the culture around us. Yeah. I think there's been a tremendous reaction against fundamentalist taboos mm. that has gone far too far in the yes. other direction. I mean, I've heard numerous times Christians saying to me, you know, well, you should be able to watch anything critically as a Christian. Right. So the obvious response to that is what? You mean like child pornography? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, well, not child pornography. Okay, so where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. Where do you draw the line between child pornography and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, where is the line drawn? Mm-hmm. That, that are, now, mm-hmm. Maybe the line can't be drawn in exactly the same place for every Christian, but there are certain things that seem to me to be obviously off limits. That we ought, that First Corinthians six, we just ought to flee. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I agree with everything you guys are saying, but on the flip side, I've noticed I have you know thought of some movies that I saw when I was a kid that I thought were just so wonderful. Every kid should watch them, <laughs> and so like I rent the Goonies or something. Mm. Oh, you guys are gonna love this. And there's, it's like filled with cuss words yeah. and like inappropriate. Yeah. And my kids are like, Ma! <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, there as the you know mother of the year. Um, I've also bought like of mice and men for my middle daughter, thinking, oh, she's gonna love this book. We've you know we've kidded around and called her Lenny mm-hmm. a couple times, yeah. and um, she starts reading the book. She goes, Mom, I don't think this book is appropriate for me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I read it, and, yeah. and you know it's been so long since I'd read right. it. And I mean, there's GD and on all the right. pages, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I just gave my daughter this right. book. <laughs> right. So it's it, I'm thankful that those didn't leave the impression on me yeah. as a child um, when I that wasn't even in my memory anymore. Right. Right. So well, God things, is graceful, thankfully, yeah. in my mistakes as well. <laughs> one of the things we tend to do is evaluate these things through adult eyes, where our kids are so oblivious. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I mean, they're looking at it through eight or nine year old eyes, or mm-hmm. even ten or twelve year old eyes, and they simply don't understand. Which is, I'm sure, God's grace that yeah. it just it goes over their heads, mm-hmm. and so we do look back and see a whole lot more. Well, one thing I wanted to say is it's amazing just how timely God's word is, where we can read this book that the newest parts are 2,000 years old. We go back and we read it and we 
we see just how it speaks directly to our culture. Mm-hmm. As much as our culture is sexualized, you read uh, Paul writing to the, the church in Thessalonica, and you see he was writing to a very similar circumstance where homosexuality was prevalent, where men were taking multiple wives, where there was uh, all sorts of ritual prostitution. And, and so while the circumstances around us are in some ways unique, Yet we go back 2,000 years and find that it really wasn't too different. Well, yeah. the Corinthian sins are not so different yeah. from the sins we deal with now, which is just the joy of taking God's word, understanding it, applying it, preaching it week by week. It speaks to pornography. It speaks to watching movies we shouldn't. It speaks to all of this so, so clearly. Yeah, that's really good. And I, I really, I mean, we could go on and on. This is such a helpful conversation, Tim, and, and we're really grateful for uh, the work you've been doing to challenge and encourage and to get good resources in the hands of people um, on this issue. Uh, you know well, just like we do, that um, this is a pressing, pressing pastoral need. Um, so uh, listen, if you're one of the one or two people out there who have not been on Tim's uh, website, we would encourage you to go there. Tim's blog is is one of the handful uh, that's always worth going to um, and reading. Um, I would um, recommend uh, his book, Sexual Detox. It is very helpful. It's brief. It's readable and would be helpful in a lot of contexts. And uh, so, Tim Challies, thanks so much uh, for spending some time with us and for uh, the work that you're continuing to do um, on this issue and as well as many others. You're very welcome. Well, listen, uh, we're, we're glad to have had the time with all of you yeah, all. Thanks, Tim. Um, please visit our website at mortificationofspin.org, and uh, we'll talk to you all next time. Says to me, live long and prosper. I seriously mean it when I say get a life. My doctor's name is not McCoy, it's Ginsburg. And tribbles were puppets, not real animals. Puppets! And when I speak, I never ever talk like every word is its own sentence. I live in California, but I was raised in Montreal. And I believe in Priceline.com, where you never have to pay full price for airline tickets, hotels, and car rentals. I've appeared on stage at Stratford, at Carnegie Hall, Albert Hall, and the Monkland Theater in NDG. My name is William Shatner, and I am Canadian! Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a reformed awakening in today's church. Head over to mortificationofspin.org to download a message from the 2015 Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology titled Biblical Sexuality for Married and Single Christians by Tim Geiger. And join us next week when the gang talks about something that is all pervasive, but very few people seem to have noticed, and that is the massive growth and proliferation in niche, specialized Bibles addressing different micro-identities within the Christian subculture. 
There seem to be Bibles catering to every taste and every one of our micro-identities. Women's studies Bibles, men's study Bibles, Bibles for teenagers, Bibles for older people, younger people. It is undoubtedly a big economic component in Christian publishing. And it's really something, I think, that we need to explore, think about, reflect upon in more detail. That's next week. In the meantime, don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to read blog posts from Carl, Amy, and Todd, and check out our podcast archive. Great. Have you ever met William Shatner, by the way? <laughs> Not even once. Yeah. Or Bieber? <laughs> yeah, what's all this uh, Justin Bieber about? I couldn't tell you. I think he's from YouTube, not from Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't he a pastor now with Hillsong? Uh, he is a pastor with Hillsong, I yeah. think. Yeah. I don't, he's no. actually a pastor or he's given Well, I, I, you know, he's, he's on the inside and apparently he mm. spoke. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> he's claiming uh, the housing benefit apparently, so. I once got invited to speak at a church. I can't remember where. And so I looked up the church online to see what it was all about. And the last guest preacher they had had before me was Justin Bieber's mom. So. Oh, oh nice. nice. Fantastic. Hey, you must be a big deal then. Yeah. I guess. I so don't know. You have Justin Bieber's mom as your warm-up person. <laughs> I'm really impressed. That's huge. <laughs>